Welcome to Prism Bible, where we learn the Bible so we can live the story. God has a part for each of us to play, and to understand our purpose, we need to grasp the big, beautiful story that's unfolding in history. Join us today as we see the law given to Israel. Israel is traveling on its way to the promised land, and God comes upon Mount Sinai in fire and smoke. You're listening to Prism Bible. The people are terrified. After being led for weeks in the wilderness by the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, experiencing the provision of God, they now stand before Mount Sinai, one of the most important locations in all of the Bible. Fear is suddenly in the hearts of all the people because the Lord has appeared in a magnificent way. They'd been camping in the plain in the front of the mountain, and on the third day when the morning came, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud was upon the mountain, and a very loud blast from the ram's horn went out, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke, because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke rose like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. And as the sound of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai. God is doing something special here. You can tell by the way that he's showing himself to the people. It's not the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that had been leading them up to this point. Instead, he wraps the whole mountain in a cloud of smoke and descends upon it in fire. If that weren't enough, the mountain begins quaking while the sound of trumpets grows louder and louder. Just imagine it for a moment. The rocky crags of a mountain covered in fire and smoke, billowing with the sounds of thunder and trumpets. This was such an experience outside of the norm that all were terrified who looked upon it. It was as if heaven was invading earth, there at Mount Sinai. God has come down in this way for a purpose, because he's going to give the Israelite nation a law. A unified law as a collection of statutes to govern them, that if followed, will be accompanied by blessing, and if not, will be accompanied by cursing. It's one great big test of faith, wrapped in the demands of the law. This law is the most consequential set of rules that has ever been given in the history of humanity. A set of laws that reveals God's moral principles to the world through national rules given to Israel. And here at Sinai, God begins to deliver these laws to the people starting with the Ten Words, more commonly called the Ten Commandments. God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in the heavens above, on the earth below or in the waters beneath. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving devotion to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. 
You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, on which you must not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant or livestock, nor the foreigner within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but on the seventh day he rested. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Honor your father and mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant or maidservant, or his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. These Ten Commandments, found in Exodus chapter 20, form the basis of the whole legal system that God gives to the nation of Israel. God gives the people many more laws, but their foundation is in these ten words. Overall, there are collectively over 600 instructions and regulations that become the blueprint for the Israelites to live a God-honoring life in the land of Canaan. God is giving Israel the law, starting with these ten words. So we should highlight a few important observations regarding God's identity, the prohibition of fake gods, and righteous living. So first, God's identity. God begins the Ten Commandments with a statement rather than a rule. That statement is this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Before anything else, God identifies himself as the one who saved the Israelites from their slavery in Egypt. God's identity as the great deliverer is the introduction to the law, and something that we shouldn't miss. God is giving rules in the context of deliverance. But let's dig a little deeper. In the second commandment here it says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember we discussed God revealing his name of four Hebrew letters to Moses. The name Yahweh that means something like, I am who I am, the essence of God's identity. Here he's instructing that the Israelites are to guard themselves against misusing or dishonoring his name. And using and bearing his name as his people, they are to do it in proper reverence and respect to the Eternal One who created all things, made the great promises to Abraham, and who delivered them from Egypt. God's identity was to be revered. This brings us to observation number two. The true God prohibits the creation or worship of fake gods. He says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in the heavens above, on the earth below or in the waters beneath. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Now remember back in Egypt, God had demonstrated the fakeness of the Egyptian gods by sending plagues corresponding to each fake god. He showed that these fake gods had no power to stop the one true God. Yet despite this demonstration, we've already seen that the Israelites at the foot of Mount Sinai have complained about water and food, even wishing that they had gone back to Egypt. God knows the fickle heart of humans, and he warns them in this command against turning to the fake gods. 
He warns them against setting up idols, fake gods that are made by human hands out of wood or metal. These Israelites had been steeped in the Egyptian polytheistic culture of many gods, and they would be tempted to go back to worship these fake gods. It's to this that God says no. Finally, our third observation is that the Ten Commandments require righteous living. Notice the communal aspect of the last five commandments. Communal in the sense that the commandments involve living in a community. These last five commandments say, Do not murder, commit adultery, steal, bear false witness, nor covet what your neighbor has. Refraining from these activities are a beginning point for righteous living for an Israelite. They form a foundation for positively good acts, apart from these prohibitions by God. Were one to commit one of these offenses, say murder, that act of unrighteousness stains the person who commits the offense. Further, if that person goes on without consequences, God's righteousness would be called into question. After all, if God just lets a murderer go with no consequences, then it appears that he approves of or at least doesn't care about murder. The righteous living required by the law both builds up the community and serves as a basis to demonstrate the righteousness of God behind the commandments. Now, with these three observations made about the Ten Commandments, that they involve God's identity, they prohibit fake gods, and they require righteous living, we might ask, well, what if someone does murder his neighbor? What if someone does covet his neighbor's house? Is there a solution to law-breaking? Well, outside of some specific consequences for disobedience, God also establishes a system for Israel by which people can be made temporarily clean from their unrighteousness. Remember we said that these sins, when committed, stain the person, and they stain the reputation of God. There had to be some way to take these stains away, a way to transfer that stain onto something else. And so God makes a system of sacrifices, a system of substitutes that would take away the stain of sin to allow an unrighteous person to be in relationship with a holy righteous God. A system that points to the ultimate substitute of the Bible story. Join us next time as we discuss the sacrificial system, its purpose, its structure, and the function of blood in something that the Bible calls atonement. Don't forget to download the Prism Bible app our mobile app to help you learn the Bible. In addition to this podcast content, we have Bible readings, summaries, and quiz questions on the app to help you get the most out of every lesson. Prism Bible is a project of the Bible Literacy Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to helping you learn the Bible.